Mary, Mary, I don't want to have to tell you to quiet down. <laughs> I promise to be good. <laughs> I know it doesn't work at home, so why do you work here? <laughs> that was on tape. <laughs> okay, the Pasha is the Shmot. Sponsored by friends of David Wicksall in his memory, Leili Nishmat David Ben Mordechai Shmuel Zal. Now let's look at the first three, six psukim. The first six psukim in, um, in Shemot Perik Bet about the birth of Moshe Rabbeinu. And see whether these psukim, and before we learn the Rishonim, present any obvious questions or problems. Okay, it's a statement of a fact. It was a marriage. Somebody, male, married somebody, female. Right, sort of like um, an unimpressive start or an impressive start. Pasuk Bet says, "Vatari shavatelit ben vatera otoki tovu vatitzpenehu shlosha yerachim." So if I had to answer the question of why she had to hide him for three months, vatitzpenehu shlosha yerachim. I remember the way I always uh, thought of it was that. It was the time of the edict that Paro made to kill all the first, all the male children, right? And so the, he was hidden so that the police will not find him, something like that. But Tzbedeu Tzafun means hidden, right? Hidden away. Okay, and for three months, because I guess until the baby gets a little bigger, the sounds that they make are not so great. Or they can be covered up somehow. And there came an end to this game. She couldn't hide him anymore. She made a, a little cradle or an ark, a little uh, basket. Uh, which was waterproofed, and she put him, she put the baby into the Svataya'o, into the, into the river. Now this is, to me, is kind of incomprehensible. I mean, what, what good is this going to do? I mean, I mean, who's going to find the baby, and what's going to happen to the baby after it's found? I mean, what sort of solution was this? But it doesn't say that yet in the Pasuk. But then it says, Pasuk Dalad Vatetatsav Achoto Merachok and she appointed the older daughter, who was not in danger of being killed, to watch over the situation, see what happens to the to the baby. Vatayrit Batpar Oli Chotzaliyon, naturally, right? This is one of those stories. That it had to be Batpar O, and she was going to <coughs> to be to bathe in the river, and she came with her entourage. She saw this this uh, cradle floating around in the water, and she sent somebody to get it. Okay. There are a lot of verbs in this uh, uh, pasuk. There are a lot of verbs, and when there are a lot of verbs, so you like 
you want to know like what each verb represents. So first it says, Vatiftach. She opened this basket or, or whatever it whatever it actually was. Vatir Ehu, and she saw him. Etayelet. Right? That's a kind of a Hebrew. In, in, in biblical Hebrew you could say that. Like the object uh, comes after the direct object comes after the et. And the et is the sign of a direct object. Etayelet vinar bochet. And the child was crying. Before the child was not crying. Or that this was like a revelation. Why wasn't the crying what attracted her to the child? Why is it that she opens the box and then the child is crying? But besides that, there is a problem with the word na'ar, mm. which we would find problematic, because na'ar usually we would think means somebody older than a baby. A baby is not called a na'ar. Na'ar. So, bocheh v'tachmolalav, and she had mercy upon him, v'tome b'yaldei ha'ivriyim zeh. Well, why did she say that? I mean, what was it? I mean, so, so it's like, like every story. Every story, if you read the story very carefully, you'll find that there are missing details. In this case, besides the missing details, there are words that are not perfectly uh, clear to us. And those words appear mostly in the sixth pasuk. She saw him. Why? Why? If, if he, she opened it up, so of course she saw him. Well, why is the person to say she saw him? Hine is a word that introduces wonder or surprise. Look at this. Na'ar Wrong. That's what it should have said. What is na'ar bochet? What? Tinoch, a word that appears in the Chumash? Here. I mean, it's a question. Well, may naked. What? May naked, which is, no, may naked, I mean, which implies, no, not here, I'm just saying. He's called a yellow. Right. Yeah. Okay. So now, I mean, good. Uh, good comment. But Tachmolalav, she had mercy upon him, and she said, how did she know that? I mean, it's, it may be likely that the, the, the Ivriyim would try to save their children, but how did she know specifically that this was one of their children? I mean, it's not in the, in the Pesach. So let's look at Rashi. That's how Rashi, how Rashi tells the story. You know, Rashi often, I mean, Rashi, Rashi is the one who would, what? It, it wouldn't be clear, the, the issue of Ribila. Yeah, that's, mm -hmm. that's what Rashi says. Oh. Very good. I mean, it could be. No, just one means the Egyptians. I mean, it's not important. It's not important to the story that he had a Brit Milah. That's what, you know, so it doesn't tell you that. It leaves us, I mean, maybe it was some other thing. Maybe he had a Star of David around his neck or something. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, I don't know. Is that... Would that be important to, to no, tell I, us? I guess it's just, yes. you know, the head of all the, the identification She opened up and what? I opened the basket and wrapped the blankets and looked to see if it was her. Oh, good, good.
good? Chazal say that. Now sometimes you could say you could say a chidush, like a novel uh, idea, but sometimes you have to quote. <laughs> so anyway, it says it says look at Rashi. Rashi, he says, listen to the story. He says the first pasuk, which is kind of uh, not too romantic, not too interesting, not to, the two people got married to each other. So he says, was a new story that these two people, these two people, the Ben Levi and the Bat Levi, decided not to live with each other because they didn't want to have children. They didn't want to have children. And then he took her again. Whether this means that he married her again or he just he had relations with her again. That's why the word is used to de- describe a reunion. Because he went. He went someplace. He didn't take her because she was already taken. He went to her because they decided not to live together. And he went, the Ben Levi, Ishmi Beit Levi, he listened to his daughter. What did his daughter say? His daughter said, Your edict not to have relations with your wife is more difficult yet than what Paro said. In Paro's Gazar Kharim, because Paro said, kill all the male Jewish children. And you, my father, you decided that there shouldn't be any female children either. And Rashi says, he brought her back and he took her again, which in our language would mean he married her again, lekuchin, right? Because in the in the Chumash, as you know, the verb lamet kufchet equals to marry. Ki yikach ish isha is whatever it is you do. Uh, the word that's you, the verb that's used is lakach. So vechzirav asaba lekuchin shniyim vavhi nevchali yotna arah, and she became a young girl. She became a young girl, mm-hmm. in other words. In other words, it's not so difficult to understand that this pasuk becomes the essential pasuk of Yitziat Mitzrayim. Because this pasuk, according to Rashi, is the pasuk that said that in the despair of the Jews who were both slaves and then under the, the uh, edict of Paro, which would kill all the male, all the male children, un- that in that tremendous despair that they were o- overwhelmed by, they decided to live. And that was the essential decision of Yitziat Mitzrayim, as you'll see later on in the, in the story. That, that in order for HaKadosh Baruch, in order for HaKadosh Baruch to free us from slavery, to get us out of Mitzrayim, to save us from the edicts of Paro, we had to have some sort of response. We had to respond in some way. So the primary response was this, 
ואיש מבית לוי, מבית לוי, ויקח את בת לוי, and Rashi says what was going on is they decided to live, and, and he then explains about, about יוכבד, בת מאה ושלושים שנה הייתה שנולדה בבואה למצרים, בין החומות, is the time she came to מצרים, she was 130 years old, ומאתיים ועשר שנה נשתהו שם, they were in Mitzrayim 210 years, right, as you know, Moshe, Hashem said to Avram Avinu, it'll be 400 years, but in fact it was 210 years, and then they had to, they had to get out. כשיצאו היה משה בן שמונים שנה, אם כן, כשנתעברה ממנו הייתה בת מאה שלושים, וקורא אותה בת לוי. So there was she, her, the response to their wanting to live was uh, that she would be able to, to live as a young woman, right? Exactly the same as Sarah. So from that point of view, just as Abraham and Sarah were the start of things, so Yocheved and, uh, and Amram were the start of things, right? Everything started over again. They had to somehow, they had to somehow imitate Avram and Sarah. So that pasuk, according to Rashi, which seems a little bit straightforward and not so interesting, but according to Rashi, it's the essential pasuk that tells us about Yitziat Mitzrayim. This is where Yitziat Mitzrayim starts. Even though a lot of stories up to the actual uh, chasing the Jews out of Mitzrayim, but this is where it all, all began. Okay? The end of the, uh, the next pasuk says, We don't know what tov means. It's a very difficult word in the Chumash. Right? Because when God created the world, everything that was created is called tov. And uh, I mean, however you would translate that world, you could say it's good or as perfect or as uh, can't do better. Uh, it would seem that that would be obvious that if God makes something, it should be it should come out right. It's not like you know, like you call a repairman here in Yerushalayim. There's ki tovu, the child, the baby. What could that possibly mean? So you have this line in Rashi which is one of the most famous lines that Rashi ever wrote. Because mm. everybody knows this, right? Everybody knows, and the, the line is, Kshenolad kula ora. That just like the or, the light of Breshit, represented the beginning of creation, right? The third pasuk in Breshit Aleph is, Vayom Elohim Yehi Or, Vayhi Or, and we all know that the light that God created was too strong to keep in the world, so it was sequestered into Olam Haba, or into Gan Eden, and where the tzaddikim would be able to benefit from that, and that was called Tov. So, so what do you mean the Bayat was mit kulo ora? I mean, what does that mean? Does it mean that they, they switch from incandescent bulbs to lead or to whatever they do today? Is that what it means? Or does it mean, does it mean perhaps that 
you do something, it's either tov or it's not tov. They did something, these two people. They, they, and, and there was a sign that they, that they knew that it was tov. It either means real light or it means what light implies, right? That, that it's good, that it's right, that it's the, the way it should be, etc. Kitov hu, okay? Now, the next thing it says is, no explanation. Rashi is telling us this story. So they knew, they, they knew that, that usually the birth of a child takes place after nine months of pregnancy. So they also knew that she just got married. She got married on this day. So they say, wrote down in the notebook, we'll be here to check in nine months, right, to see if you have a, a baby and if the baby is a male or a female. So according to Chazal, so there would be no, no option to hide the baby in that case. So Chazal say, Chazal say, he must have been given birth at the sixth month of pregnancy. And then she had three months uh, where she could uh, live with this baby peacefully until she knew that the Egyptians were coming. And that's called lo. Yachol Hatspino. And Rashi quotes this because it's not the way I learned it. That the reason that she couldn't hide him was anymore was because he got bigger and stronger and the screaming was louder and louder and the neighbors would hear the baby and report the baby to the authorities. That was not the case. The screaming of the baby was irrelevant, or alternatively, we don't know if the baby screamed at all. Maybe the baby didn't scream. But at the ninth month, they were going to come to look for a baby. That's a different, that's a different matter. So this story that Rashi is telling does not include crying. I know I'm, I'm uh, uh, emphasizing this for a reason that you will soon be aware of. Doesn't this, doesn't, doesn't this, isn't this peculiar related to Rashi Tupsukum earlier? Because the, the Egyptians, I think, would not have been relying upon some sort of miraculous event. And that 130-year-old woman getting remarried, it seems like they wouldn't actually use the same uh, chronology to worry about her giving birth. Yeah. I, mean, I, don't, I don't know. I, I, I can't answer those kind of The only thing I can try to understand is what Rashi says. It's very hard for me to understand what Rashi doesn't say. I, 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 don't, I don't know. I think that the point that Rashi is making is that it was be, became beyond her control. There was, there was this baby that was born. Now, I don't know how good they were at checking or looking into it or whether they thought if she was 130 years old, she wouldn't have a baby. I don't, I don't know anything like that. But Loya Cholatzbino, she was not able to hide the baby anymore, is the beginning of the story of how Moshe Rabbeinu is taken out of her hands. That he seems to be controlled by some other force 
that we have to, that we will soon identify. So it says, it says in, uh, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, then she came, uh, let's look at the, The last pasuk in Rashi, Vatiftach vatir ehu et hayeled v'nei na'ar boche. Vatiftach vatir ehu, you see Vav in Rashi? Et mir'ata et hayeled. Zepshuto. In other words, the Rashi says, Vatiftach vatir ehu, she saw him. And then the Pasuk says, et hayelet. But we know that it was et hayelet because this was where her, the mother placed the child. So she opened it up. She's going to see the yelet. So that's the pshat. The Medrash show, Medrash shows that Rashi says, it's, it, it, when Rashi says, this is the pshat, and this is the Medrash. So it could be, I can't tell you that I know exactly what Rashi meant, but it seems to me that Rashi meant that if you don't know the Midrash, you're going to miss something. There's something about what's happening here that you're going to find that you're just not going to get it. So if you let the Pasuk say, and she opened it up and she saw the child, so it's okay, that's true, that's what happened. But it doesn't explain to me why the Torah told me that, which is always Rashi's concern when he's trying to explain, trying to explain what's going on. Why? Why do we have to know it? What's the point? So Rashi says, Medrasho. Medrasho, Rashi means, he says, it's not the pshat. It's not the pshat, but it's a necessary idea. You, you, you understand, Rashi had tremendous respect for Chazal. So if they said something which mutilated the Pasuk a little bit, but out came an idea, it came from their minds, the way they looked at it. So Raj said, well, that idea is important in spite of the fact that it's not Pshat. But sometimes, sometimes it's almost necessary because the Pshat doesn't get you anywhere. The pshat is just too obvious, too simple, too unnecessary. And so the medrash is good for me. It helps me. And so what's the medrash in this case? And this is the most important thing that Rashi says after the first pasuk, in my opinion. Rashi says, Rashi says this. He says, Shira'ata imo shechina. Shira'ata imo shechina. So, Rashi in Pasuk Aleph, in Pasuk Bet, Rashi says, Kitovu, Kshenolad Nitbalei Habayit Kulo Ara. And so the relationship between Moshe the baby and his parents is a function of Ara. That relationship is transferred to Bat Paro. And how is it transferred to Bat Paro? Because she, Bat Paro, Rata Imo Shechina. So how do I read the Pasuk? Vativtach, she opened it up, and Vatir Ehu, and she saw not a regular baby, but she saw something special. Et Hayelet, meaning the Shechina was with him. She saw a divine 
uh, apparition. I mean, it was it was something special. So the light of the Tinok, which was part of the house of his parents, became part of the way Bat Paro related to to this uh, this child. Then Rashi says, you see Rashi, mm-hmm. the last part of the Pasuk, we have that word Na'ar, Na'ar Now this is the first time, this is the first time that the word Bolche is mentioned in these six Pasukim. Na'ar Rashi says, Kolo Kinar. And what does that mean? It'd be like you're learning Rashi. So you say, look, Rashi could have said, that the word nar is used uh, imperfectly, imprecisely. Uh, you might think nar is, uh, is, is older, so, so here's the baby. So Rashi, so Rashi doesn't go for that. Rashi goes, says that there was something about Moshe at this moment, right, three months after he was born, that made him into a nar. And what made him into a nar? His crying. Is crying. And Rashi says, the way Rashi says it is that Kolo Kinar. He had the voice of a Nar, right? Didn't sound like a baby. He sounded like, I mean, even, uh, even older children cry sometimes. So that's what he sounded like. He sounded like an older child who was, who was, uh, who was crying. So now, <coughs> let's look at the Ramban. I don't know if we'll, well, maybe. We'll look at the Ramban. Now the Ramban, you know that the Ramban uh, accepts that Rashi is the basic parshan on the Chumash. He says it. He says himself as part of his introductory poem. He says, my, my commentary is based on Rashi and Ibn Ezra. That's what the Ramban says. In other words, I, the Ramban, when I learn Chumash, I learn with Rashi and Ibn Ezra. And certainly more with Rashi than the Ibn Ezra. However, that doesn't mean that he always agrees with Rashi. Right? Very often, the Ramban disagrees with, I mean, even though he, he held that Rashi was the basic commentary, the necessary understanding of the, of the Chumash, but you could disagree. And he very often did disagree, and the reasons, the, the foundations of his disagreements also, are also very interesting. But we won't talk about that now. We just look at the, at the Ramban. Yadua, Kikola Nashimo Avotet Bnehem. What do you think of that? He says, all, all uh, women think that their children are special. Yafim Vishayinam Yafim. The beautiful looking children and the ones that don't look so, so good. And there's no, there's no one would differentiate. Every mother will certainly try to hide away their children if there's a dangerous moment. And you don't have to prove it. Every mother thinks that her son, baby, the baby is tovu. But, the, but here, the meaning of the word tov, she saw some tov in him that was new, that was different. 
כי ירה בו נס ויינצל. And she looked at this baby and she decided that there would be a miracle. There would have to be a miracle, otherwise he wouldn't look so special and he would be saved. ויינצל. ולכן נתנה אל ליבה וחשבה מחשבות בעניינו. And therefore, unlike all the other mothers, she set about to think and to figure out whether there was some way that she would be able to do something for his benefit. When she saw that she would not be able to hide him any longer, she thought he would be saved with a trick, a different trick. Tevat Gome, and she made this uh, this teva, this ark, and and waterproofed it. And the the sister uh, stood a distance away so they wouldn't recognize her there. And all of this is a way of supporting the words of Rabotenu, Shedarshu Kitovu, Shinit Malekolabait Ora. Vilama Shaamru Shaita Mirya Mitnaba Atida Imi Shetelait Ben Shemoshiat Yisrael. So it's hard to it's hard to exactly explain what the Ramban meant here. Whereas Rashi tells us that Kitovu means that the, the, the room was filled with the light of goodness. It was the whole the miracle of the birth of Moshe Rabbeinu was obvious. The Ramban kind of puts it in more um, prosaic terms. I mean, she was a mother and she was looking to save her child and, and, the, and the Tov doesn't mean what you think, you know, it, it, but but you could understand why Chazal said what they said. You know, sort of, it, it, whereas, according to Rashi, the Chazal, which is a quote from the Gemara and Sota, is lechatchila, right? So it's the a priori in, interpretation. You see, if you look at the Rashi, kitovu <coughs> It doesn't give you another interpretation or a practical interpretation. Rashi just says that's the way it was. It was we're talking about a miracle, whereas the Ramban says, well, actually, we could be talking about the regular kind of behavior of a regular kind of person in a regular kind of situation with some small deviation, right? Some small deviation. He says that's what Chazal meant. What I say is what Chazal meant. That's the Ramban. So the Ramban talks. He he admits that the R that Tov and Or have something to do with each other. He admits that. Now we, we go the uh, Pasuk Vav. You see the Ramban? Vinei Nar Nar Right, there's the problem of the word Nar and the problem of the word Bocheh. Kolo nishma ki Nar, Lashon Rabbeinu Shlomo. This has already been pushed away, this interpretation that he had a uh, a voice like an older or a young boy, like a boy, not like a baby. What do you think of that? Baal Mum is a has an imperfection. What's his imperfection? 
that his voice is not normal. He has an abnormal kind of voice, which is, makes him sound like a, a young man. Uh, uh, one second. Rabbi Avram, Matam Ovi Furthermore, what possible reason could there be for the Torah to tell us that he had a thick voice? Or that he sounded older than being, uh, what, what importance is that to, to our world? Rabbi Avram, Mashayu Evarav Gidolim Kinar. So the Ibn Ezra had a different kind of take on it, and he said that, that he looked a lot older than he actually was. I mean, he was only three months old, but he looked like he was, he was built like a football player. Evarav Gidolim. His limbs were very, were very big. Maybe the intention of calling him a na'ar has to do with his beauty. That he was a very beautiful baby. And that connects to Bat Pala Paro. She looked at this baby and she saw Tov. And you know, whatever you, without explaining it, and then she saw his beauty, and so she felt sorry for this baby that is so beautiful that is just wandering off in the in the water. She recognized that he was just recently born, and his limbs were very uh, advanced. I mean, I guess you know, babies. Before they straighten out their arms and legs, they're like a little crooked. So his arms and legs might have been straight. Uh, I mean, I'm trying to just imagine what the Ramban is me, it might mean. Ke'ilu hunar, like like an older uh, person. Viyotenachon, he doesn't like that. Yotenachon shenefareshbo shayabo che kenar becharitzutu zrizut. There you go. The Ramban saves the day. That bochekinar means just like a young boy would uh, uh, would cry with great uh, energy, whereas babies seem to cry always the same, although they sometimes have a lot of energy. Uh, so bochekinar with energy, with the way the way that a nar cries, not that he was a nar or that he looked like a nar, but that he had this energetic way of crying which was like a nar. And therefore she felt sad. Vagada. Agada means a non-pshat, right? Agada in Chazal. Nar bocheh, yeled haya umin hagokinar. That he was a, he was a, a yeled, but he acted like a nar. Vagavriel vikau Moshe kideshi yifkeh. And so Gabriel, you know Gabriel? Mm-hmm. Gabriel, angel. yeah, he's an angel. Of course he's an angel. <laughs> but Gabriel was the one who redirected Yosef to his brothers. Mm-hmm. It says in the Pasuk, it's like Ish. And you know Ish in Hebrew, in Biblical Hebrew, according to the Rambam, could mean angel. The word for angel is malach or ish. So the, the process of Jewish history, it, it needed Yosef to find his brothers 
so that whatever happened would happen, it'd be sold to the Egyptians, and then, you know, it would all continue. And so he was lost. So Rashi feels that the whole thing might have been lost if he couldn't find his brother. So by him saying, that the angel found him and directed him to the, to the brothers. So Lord comes Gabriel and he whacked Moshe Rabbein. This is the Agoda, right? The simple shot is he cried intensely like a nar. But the Agadic shot, according to the Rabban, the Agoda that the Rabban likes to quote, he says, Bar Gabriel, that he should really cry so that she would have mercy on him. It was, it was, it was Moshe Rabbeinu, the baby, crying that caused the, the mercy. That was as in the Pasuk. And she had mercy upon him. But what else do you see in the story? What else do you see in the story? According to the Agadah, that Moshe Rabbeinu, as a baby, did not cry. Didn't cry. In order to get him to cry, Gavriel had to come and whack him. Okay, nobody had ever whacked him, but usually babies cry, right? I mean, isn't that the, the, the way babies are? They, they, they only have one way of expressing themselves. That's the cry. The Moshe Rabbeinu didn't cry. That's Vatero Tokito. That what? Vatero Tokito, because he didn't cry. Good baby. That's what they call a good baby, right? The babies that are left alone, as our daughter pointed out, we should sure men don't cry. If you leave the child alone, they stop crying when they grow up. Yeah, okay. I mean, you know. They have no stimulation. Yeah. So Gabriel became Moshe Kadeshi Kevet it Malay Allah Rahamim. Valdati and I guess another interpretation ain't Sorichlikolze. Ki I yell it miyom hi valdo yi kare na ar. He says, what are you mocking a China here? Every you could use the word naar for a baby until he becomes an adult. And he quotes his posok and shoftim, etc. Okay? So now, I want to just, uh, I want to tell you something. The, the Rebbe Piasechna, the Rebbe Piasechna who died in Warsaw, in the Warsaw Ghetto, uh, as a tra- so somehow a tragic figure, although he was, he was not so tragic, he was a heroic figure. Uh, the tragedy was that his daughter, he was standing one day in the Warsaw Ghetto with his daughter and his son-in-law, and a bomb went off near them, and they were killed. The daughter and the son-in-law were killed, and he was left alive. He was killed at the end, when the entire Warsaw Ghetto was destroyed, so he was also, he was also killed. But during the two years that he was in the Warsaw Ghetto, where the, after it became, became closed by the, the, the Nazis, he used to say a drasha every Shabbat. He said a drasha every Shabbat to the, to the congregation. He was also the, the rabbi. In the, not the only rabbi, but he was the rabbi of the Warsaw Ghetto. I mean, very interesting. The drashot are very interesting. Uh, his life work is very interesting. It became, uh, 
also it's a kind of a popular thing today, you know, in the uh, uh, university, you know, the university rejuvenated, the university Jewish studies rejuvenated <coughs> an interest in Hasidus. And one of the, one of the Hasidic masters, so to speak, that caused, caught our attention was uh, the Rebbe Piyasechna. So he said this. He said, there's an idea. He said, an idea. He says, you see, in the ghetto, he says, the, the, the Germans and the Capos come around and they're always looking for people who are hiding. And they're always trying to get them you have to find them. That's their, their, their achievement. Like you say, are you doing a good job? Are you doing something? Did you find somebody who was hiding for some reason? So this is because the world is the world in which we are all hiding. So we all learn not to cry. Says in the ghetto, in the ghetto, nobody cries. Not because there's no pain but because we're afraid that we'll be hurt by the wrong people. So even children, even children learn quickly not to cry. That's what, they, that's what the Rebbe said. So if you take this idea about crying, you can see that the first pasuk in, these, in this parasha is about the rejuvenation of the Jewish people, about the rejuvenation of the Jewish people and the continuation of Jewish history leading to Yitziat Mitzrayim. That's the, that's the, the Vayelech, Ishmi Beit Levi, Betikachat Bat Levi, the way Rashi, the way Rashi explains it. They had a baby, and that baby was born into a world of slavery. And therefore, the first thing that that baby learned was not to cry. Not to cry, that's what Hitzpinehu. She hid him away. She could hide him for three months. Now Rashi says she hid him for three months because, uh, because they, she didn't think they would come looking for him until the end of that three month, at uh, the end of that three month period. But it could also mean, it also mean that uh, it was just too much, right? The, we would certainly start crying, right? But he didn't. He didn't start crying. When did Moshe Rabbeinu start crying? When Bat Paro looked at him and saw the Shekhinah, then he started crying because he knew that he was safe. He knew that somehow they had managed to overcome the limits of slavery in Egypt, that somehow everything would continue, so that when you are afraid and unable, you don't cry. When you're able, when you think that the, you could somehow deal with the pain and overcome that, those limits, that's when you cry. <coughs> Moshe Rabbeinu saw, I mean the baby, saw Bat Paro, and he saw that she understood something. She understood that, uh, that uh, it was hopeless, that the Jews would be as they should be. So then he cried. Kinar, as the Ramban said, loud and strong, because he was no longer, the fear that he may have had at home was dissipated entirely. He was no longer, he was no longer afraid. 
so that you have this, um, this idea with the Rashi idea, which represents the rejuvenation of kind of the ongoing flow of Jewish history, which that explains in turn, you know, the first chapter of the book of Shemot lists the names of, uh, of uh, all the people who came to Mitzrayim with Yaakov. And it's really a repeat of what you, we know already from the Pasha of Vayigash. But it's not a repeat because the people in Vayigash were going down and the people in Shemot were going up. So it just depends on how you see yourself, like where you are. Are you going into slavery or are you certain that slavery will come to an end? So Moshe Rabbeinu was created under the banner, banner of Na'ar Bocheh. That he was the one who was going to scream out. And you know that, that uh, when Am Yisrael was released from Mitzrayim, it was because they were able to turn to God. But what did they say when they turned to the Tzaka? It was only a scream. It was only screaming because screaming is not nothing. Screaming is something. Screaming means you're willing to take a stand. You're willing to act on your, on your uh, belief. Whereas silence is often uh, the idea that you just can't cope at all and you're afraid that you'll have some kind of, uh, you'll meet up with danger that you won't be able to deal with. Okay. Um, I'm sorry. I'm a little early. <laughs> I'll make it up to you. <laughs> yeah. Man, mother who's in trouble puts a baby out on the boat. The fairy tale motif. Yeah. And but it, it always represents faith because the mother says it'll be all right. What, or it won't be. I mean, God will do what what has to be done. Yeah, that's the story with Rav Chaim. Though, is that uh, that people used to leave babies at his door, and he would always take them in. I mean, I don't know if he took them in or his wife took them in, but. He thought that was reasonable. He thought it was reasonable. The way I, I understand it from the stories, I, mean, I don't know that Rav Chaim had this, uh, as the Rav of the Brisk, had this idea that everybody had uh, owned a piece of him and that he couldn't say no to anything, you know, even though he was trained to be a Rosh Yeshiva, which is often standoffish. You know, like, I'm a Rosh Yeshiva, don't talk to me. But he, when he became the Rav and Brisk, his father was the Rav before him, but when he became the Rav and Brisk, he, he just dealt with people all the time. And he never said, he never said no, apparently. I mean, he didn't have, you know, people used to get up in the morning and he'd find people sleeping in, in his house in all sorts of odd places. Uh, that's what how he thought that chesed should work. But it also specifically mentions, uh, what do you call the babies that are left on doorsteps? Foundlings. Yeah, So that's a, it must be some truth to it because that's the story that is told. That's the story. Also, usually in Shakespeare and in fairy tales, they're usually princesses. 
princesses. Oh yeah, those are the fairy tale motifs. You know, it's better to be optimistic. I guess most of the people who bought tickets to the plays were poor. So you know, you could be optimistic about what's going to happen. Okay.